most of you, if not all of you, by now know why we're here and what we're up to in this setting. If you don't, it's somewhat made clear through what I was mentioning in meditation about recognizing who and what we truly are. But I think the more, the more challenging uh, conversation, one that I hear a lot of people uh, ask about or speak about, is how to do that. <laughs> how to be true. Because for most people, there will be a, uh, a sense that it's somewhat easy when you're sitting here with your eyes closed. You know, when you're sitting here in a situation where you're not uh, inclined to speak or act in a certain way. But as we consider what it means to go out beyond this setting, out beyond a practice like meditation or yoga, into walking in the world uh, in a way that is true and real and authentically awake, for most individuals, there's a big fat question, how? How to do that? You know, because this is this act of, of being true and real in our life experience is not one that we have uh, coaching for. You know, it's not what we grow up learning to do. Uh, we grow up learning pretty much everything but that. And, you know, I think there's been some attempts in the past to write manuals on how to go about in the world being true and real. But what we can see if we look at those manuals is they fail. Because what happens with every manual is it gets turned into a, a religion. <laughs> it gets turned into a path to follow. And as soon as you're somebody following a path, you've already lost what is real and true with yourself. Because you're not a somebody on a path. You know? A path is something that's already been laid out. A path is something that's been uh, traversed many times, and so there's a wear in the ground that is a discernible track that other people have followed. But that's not our that's not our way. We're not here to simply uh, put a, a deeper groove in a track that's been taken many times before. In fact, I'll even go beyond saying that we're not here to do that, that it's not possible to do that. Because uh, if we really look at what it means to show up in our life and be awake and be true and be real, it's a highly individualistic experience. It's a highly personal situation. And we may adopt the practices and techniques and, and such for being true, being real. You know, we might follow a path like Buddhism or Christianity or Rastafarianism, who knows, whatever path you choose, right? But finally, if we find ourselves in the grooves of that path, that track, it's not really our track. 
it's not really our true way. You know, and so at a certain point, everyone is going to find themselves on a certain track and also find themselves having to leave that track. You know, because what we get if we follow a track is what uh, I like to call cookie cutter Buddha. You know, it's like you follow a formula, you get a result and you kind of end up the same as everybody else who got that result, which can be somewhat comfortable. You know, there can be some comfort in that. But with increasing anxiety that I'm not being true, I'm not being real, right? So we find at a certain point that we can honor, we can love the teachings of Buddha, of Christ, of, you know, Swami Chetananda, whomever. But finally, we have to know the truth for ourselves. Finally, I've got to know who and what I really am. Because if I go off of Swami's words or Buddha's words or Jesus's words or whomever, they're beautiful words and they're true words. But the words aren't real food, just in the same way that a menu is not real food. You know, so there's a need, a very deep need within each of us for that direct knowledge. You know, and until that direct knowledge happens in us or until that direct knowledge is wanted in us, there's always this sense that you're lacking heart or that you're lacking vision, you know? You don't quite feel like you really see what your life is or what the point of your life is or who you really are. And more often than not, we feel a, a disconnection at the heart level. You know, there's a sense that our life doesn't feel quite meaningful or rich. We don't feel fulfilled. And, uh, you know, what we're up to here is big in that way. We're not just talking about philosophical ideas that you can go off and think about. We're really talking about an invitation to, for heart and vision. You know, the fulfillment of these uh, two, to have heart, to have vision, is to live a complete life. It's to live a fulfilled life, you know. So um, where we might be inclined to think of spiritual practice or spiritual teachings as a part of our life. There's a challenge here to, to no longer look at spiritual teachings as a part of your life, but as your life. <laughs> finally, you get involved in spiritual spirituality or spiritual teachings, and finally it overtakes you. You know, finally there's a certain point where it's no longer a part of your life, you're a part of its life. It's, it's gotten hold of you and it's doing something with you, uh, it probably under the radar to the point where you didn't even realize it was happening, you know? But at a certain point, you find yourself that this, this, this thing, this force, has possession of you, has possession of your heart, it has possession of your eyes. And there's just about nothing you can do to <laughs> control it, you know? People try, people try lots of methods for controlling their experience, but finally this has you, you know? And uh, it's kind of what we're getting at here is um, not this possibility to incorporate some of these truths that we speak of into your daily existence, but to give your daily existence over to the truth that resides in you. You know, that's a big thing. You can have a very true experience or, you know, a moment of meditation that's very peaceful, very blissful, and you might start to wonder, 
how do I bring this into my life? You don't. You bring your life into that. And that's a very different way of seeing things, you know? How can I incorporate peace into my stressful work situation? You don't. You don't incorporate peace into your work stressful work situation. You incorporate your stressful work situation into the peace and truth of who you are. And it's a very different approach. Because it's, it's an approach that means it's the difference between trying to keep your life the same and add spirituality as an ingredient <laughs> versus taking your life as an ingredient and adding it into the pot of spirituality. It's a very different movement. But it's also one that we put up great resistance to because there's great fear often about giving up my life, giving up my authority, my control, my, my version of how things should be, you know? So although the path is a very personal one and one that we are treading completely uh, on our own, one that you know, ultimately we are carving that path for ourselves, it's not a path that is um, do-it-yourself. Do you know what I mean by that? That it's not a path that you get to make up. So understand the difference here between traveling a path. So we have sort of three ways, if you will. You can travel somebody else's path. You can travel your own path. Or you can travel the path that you made up for yourself. <laughs> the path that we make up for ourselves is a path, largely it's the path of ego. I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to understand things on my terms. I'm going to do things the way I think they should be done. I'm going to hold a certain set of values and beliefs that are mine, and I'm going to operate according to them. See, that's not what we're talking about. When we talk about traveling a path that is your own, we're talking about a path that transcends yourself. A path that is not a part of the acquired system of beliefs and values and actions and activities that one has acquired in one's life, right? Uh, so that's a very... Um, often very difficult place to discern because what we normally see is somebody else's way or my way. But to discover what our true way is, it's a whole different matter. And it rests upon first discovering who you really are. And it rests upon first knowing your heart and knowing your vision. Because in those two things, in, in knowing who you are, there's a certainty within you. But it's not the same thing as the certainty of ego. You know, the certainty of ego has certain plans and agendas for what it wants to accomplish, what it wants to pull off. And the wisdom of the heart and the wisdom of vision, they don't operate that way. They don't operate under the ego's plans and agendas. You know, so we're, we're here faced with this almost, almost impossible task of being who you really are without any formula to follow. Not anyone else's formula, nor your own formula. So we're left, it's, it's just natural that we would be left asking, well, how do I do that? If I don't follow someone else's formula and I don't even follow the formula I've created for myself, how do I do that? 
How do I bring to fruition? How do I bring into fullness what I really am without a formula? And we begin to understand that when we discover that who we really are and what we really are is always of the moment. It's always of the now. That it's always right here, right now. So the question, as it pertains to being real, being true, being, you know, following my own path, it's not a question about what future actions we're going to take. You know, it's not about planning what to say the next time we run into our neighbor when we're walking down the street or what to do the next time our spouse criticizes us. Not at all. That the path is an immediate one, right? In other words, that if we are sincerely aware of the path that we are on, it is a right here and right now path. And so the only response that is being called for is the one that is being called for in this moment, right? So the question of how, how do I be true to what is true within me? How do I live true to that? How do I be loyal to my inner being? It's a question that you can only answer right now. In this moment, how can you be true and uh, loyal to what you really are? So we put aside the future. And of course, we put aside the past because the past is full of all kinds of stumbling and, you know, bumping into things all sorts of misunderstanding. But we put aside the future. And if you begin to answer the question of what it means to be real and true, what it means to have heart and vision right in this moment, you realize it has nothing to do with your actions. It has nothing to do with the words you're speaking. It has nothing to do with any life decision you're trying to make. It may impact those things, but in this moment, it's a state of being, right? It's even closer than what we could call a feeling. It's a state of being. It's a, it's a matter of being in touch with who and what I am right now. You know? And there can be some anxiety. You know, if you can feel that sense of contact with who and what you really are now, it's sort of like, well, I don't know how that's going to translate into the next moment. I don't know how that's going to translate when I go to work later or when I have to interact with this person who I've had hardship with or you know but what we discover is that being true and real the best preparation for being real and true tomorrow starts with being real and true right now you know and right now and right now there's no other way there's no way of of casting a line out into the future and saying this is how I'm going to be real you know because what you get when you do that is you, you just you get online and you start shopping for different clothes, you know, <laughs> or you learn different phrases to start using. You know, that's how I'm going to be true. I'm going to dress a certain way. I'm going to speak a certain way. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to wear a smile all the time. I'm going to whatever. You start formulating these plans for what you think it means to be real and true. But ultimately, they all fail. You know, none of them ultimately work out. But when we start to see that this is the moment, that this is the only opportunity to be real and true, and that if we do that in this moment, if we're aware of that in this moment, and we're aware of it in the next moment, and we're aware of it in the moment after that, that this continuum happens, that there's a momentum that happens. And one starts to see a kind of evolution taking place just by spending time being real and true in the now, in the moment.
So the next time that you're tempted <laughs> to ask or wonder or assert some method of how, recognize that, that in that very moment, it's a, it's a delay, it's a distraction from being real and true right now. And then even the mind can get analytical about that and start saying, well, how am I going to be real and true right now? But you see, even the question, even the thought is a, it's a delay, it's a distraction. What we're pointing to in a sense here is the, the basic fact that your mind cannot acquire the knowledge or understanding to be who and what you really are, you know? That would be like a car acquiring the understanding of how to drive. You know? You get what I mean by that? That our mind is a, an operation of our inner core, our inner being. It's a tool of. It's not the thing that's in charge. You know? So the mind can't learn how to be true just in the same way a car can't learn to drive because it's simply a tool, it's a device. If we take this all the way to its logical end, this is the end of the question how. A complete cessation of the question how. But when that question ceases, you are, you are alive in the moment. You are alive knowing there is no how. There's no method. There's no strategy. There's just this moment of being true just this moment of being real, you know? And the mind hates this. The mind hates this. The mind hates that there's not a how. And the mind will go on saying, there must be a how. There must be. There must be a how. And we'll go on trying new and different hows, only to find that none of them actually does the trick. None of them actually accomplishes this task of being real and true. So hopefully what that leads us to is the understanding that how is the wrong question. That the question is who, or the question is when, you know, or where. That how's, how has no application when it comes to being true. There will be insight that comes to each of us about action. When I am in a state where I am being true and real, it will become immediately knowable to me what kind of action or word is to be undertaken. Right? But it will not be a part of a plan. It will not be a part of a strategy. This is why the masters say that to live truly is to live spontaneously. That it's not prefabricated. It's not a a system that we can go to. It's not a box of tools that we can pull out and apply. Right? That life is requiring a spontaneous uh, engagement. And when we are with who and what we truly are, when we have heart and vision, that spontaneous engagement becomes available to us. Do you have any um, insights or questions on this? subject
Well, I would say it's a matter of influence that uh, that your mind or functions of the brain can be under the influence of uh, egoic identity, which has a you know there's a lot we could say just about what an egoic identity is in terms of nature and and all of those things, or it's under the influence of of our inner being, and um, you know it, it, put very plainly. The, the mind or brain under the influence of the egoic identity is fear. And uh, under the influence of our inner being is love or, or openness, you know. So to me, I see that as the basic distinction that the mind can be uh, somewhat um, operated by either force, that the mind itself being a tool could be, you know, just like a hammer it could be used by a murderer or a construction worker, you know, to produce something beautiful or to produce something horrific. I see it much the same way. Um, of course, there to me, uh, under the influence of our inner being is the most natural thing, meaning that it is what we are, we are intrinsically and also what we have forgotten ourselves as, that we've forgotten what is most natural. Uh, to us. That's why I use the phrase in meditation about remembering. Um, but the egoic identity and the way it influences the mind is, I would say it's, it's very conditioned. You know, it's, it's nurtured into experience. You know, we're taught to see things a certain way or we're, we're coached to look at ourselves or reality a certain way. So from that point of view, the egoic identity, when it's in charge of the mind, I would say it, it's pretty much exclusively conditioning, you know, whereas uh, the mind under the influence of our inner being, I would say, is exclusively natural or intrinsic. That would be my take on it. It takes the faith of breaking with the past, breaking with all of our former models that we use to deal with life. You know, we developed a certain set of standardized responses to life and they become anti-faith. You know, it's like my distrust with life leads me into acquiring a certain collection of models for how to engage with life. So that when we come to this point of engaging with life as it really is or spontaneously, there's, there's this tremendous faith involved. It's the faith of leaving behind all of those models. You know, that's a big thing. That's a big thing for a human being to undergo. Because those models are basically everything that we've learned for how to survive, for how to get along in this world, for, you know, how to be accepted, how to be loved, how to be on top, whatever, you know? So you consider what it means to be real and true, and in a sense, it means giving up those powers, giving up those models that have been acquired, and that is scary shit, you know, for a lot of people. <laughs>